All right. I'm sure everyone's come up with a real good one. You guys up the back there. Actually, I saved you all spots, especially you, Alana, up here on this front row. Yeah. Come on up. And Sam. And Zoe. You too. Come on up the front. This is suffering. This is suffering. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So just by way of introduction, again, I'm Josh. Uh, so I work with the young adults here at, at The Vine. The way it's going to work tonight is the topic is, thanks, Bella, uh, the topic is suffering and a good, good father. Now, the way it's going to work questions-wise is Blair here has got his phone. If you have a question, text it through to this number up here and then Blair will do a bit of triage and then he'll text them up to me. And then if I get a chance to get to them and I can filter out all the swearing and things, then I'll pass it across to one of our contestants. They're not really contestants, our panellists here. So that's it. Does everyone have any questions about that? If you haven't got a... Sorry? Text them through, that's right. Like if you don't have a phone or something like that, just text through your problem and we'll deal with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if the person next to you or something like that, that'd be great. We probably won't be able to get to all of them, um, but that's the basic process. Now, the panellists that we've got here tonight, some of them will be very familiar to you. Most of them actually should be pretty familiar to you at this stage. Um, for starters, we've got uh, Rob here who has been, if you were here this morning, I was certainly convicted by his message. Um, Rob was the founder of Youth Dimension in the early 1600s and has been, uh, and has been <laughs> teaching and training the leaders uh, and, and preaching and speaking in, in more places than you can imagine. Um, and it's, he's got a wonderful way of connecting with people, drawing people out and being really honest about who God is in his life. And I've certainly uh, got a lot from that. Um, Elizabeth is incredibly beautiful. She's Liz, and she hates it when I call her Elizabeth. She's my wife, um, and she, so just for a bit of context, so uh, Liz um, has done some studies. She's working a little bit with young adults as well. She's worked in pastoral care, and she's had some personal experiences with suffering as well. Um, and she has got two beautiful kids and a handsome husband. Aaron here. <laughs> Um, Aaron, you'll know, he's the, working with the youth. Um, he's been doing that for not 400 years, more like uh, 16. Um, and he has also been doing a lot of study in this particular area. Um, and I've really been getting a lot out of hearing the way that he's put that to formulated that. So without much further ado, I thought I might open up. Uh, first of all, right of reply, any rebuttals to that? Are your microphones all working? Maybe, yes. Yeah, hello, yes. Beautiful. All right, great. Start your engines. I got this phone yesterday. I'm really hoping it's going to work for me. Blair, your beautiful smile, your fly is undone. No? Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Blair, for that. Great. <laughs> I thought I might start off. <laughs> this is a very serious topic. <laughs> um... I thought I might start off maybe a bit more uh, 
broadly um, and ask what are some of the difficulties in a context like this to talk about something as heavy as suffering? What are some of the challenges that can come up um, with me throwing questions at you in this kind of a context, thinking about where people are at? Um, could I start off, Aaron, would you be all right to kind of frame that a bit? There's always a question below the question. Um, you could ask uh, someone, uh, why does God allow suffering? Um, and that could mean so many different things. That could mean, why is my grandma just passed away? Um, that could mean I've sat in a theological class and we've wrestled with it and there's those that are Calvinists and those that are Arminius and we've been throwing things at each other. Um, that, could, that could mean, like, I've just stubbed my toe and the world has ended, like, what's happening to me? It, I think for me, when when approaching the question, it's it's always what's what's the question behind the question. I'd much rather minister to that, and much rather um, help you explore that. And when when we sit in front of um, a whole bunch of people, we don't know that, frankly. So um, we we know some of your stories, we know a, a lot of what's been happening, but um, that's that's the complexity. We've got this whole spectrum of different people, different life experiences. Um, different different challenges, different elements of, of suffering. You mean all suffering, but um, that's what I would, I'd say to that. Yeah. Now I'll just say in terms of the format, uh, following on from last session that we had, there was a lot of positive feedback. We had one on, um, what was the topic we did last time? Because I'm drawing a blank. Signs, wonders, yes, and that stuff. Um, so... What, the way we're going to do it is I'm going to try and keep people on point a bit more, formulate the questions a bit more pointedly. And if people have got something to contribute, if you want to indicate that to me and then you can follow straight on into that, then that would be great. Yep. Um, another question that I wanted to ask, one question that we've had is, how has your view on suffering changed in your life, um, if it has uh, in one particular way, and so I thought I might give Liz this one, if that's all right. Yes. <clears throat> um, I have grown up in church, so I've grown up around a lot of the um, answers that we tend to hear about uh, why God um, allows suffering or causes suffering or does not cause suffering or all of these kinds of – there's different ways to phrase the question. But um, I – it probably wasn't really until I was in my um, early 20s that I really started thinking about the question on a deeper level. Um, and it was when a number of things happened um, within the space of probably only a year – a number of really um, tragic events happened in people around me. I went to too many funerals that year, um, and there were there was a lot of there's some very significant um, health issues within uh, my own family, uh, and I began to kind of wrestle with this question of um, who God is um, and how can I believe that God is good when I'm seeing all this suffering, and I kind of reached some conclusions about that. Um, and um, some answers around um, what is the place of suffering in our lives as Christians. Uh, and then I was diagnosed with cancer at 22 and all of those answers uh, became um, really problematic for me because I didn't find any sense of comfort in them. 
and I was still carrying around a whole heap of pain, even though I kind of knew intellectually some of the answers to these questions, they just didn't kind of address um, and alleviate the pain that I was feeling. And so um, I had a, a moment where I encountered God and um, and it was meeting God in my suffering that really then transformed my understanding of suffering again. And and I could really honestly say, yes, I believe that God is good um, because I know that God knows my own suffering, not just God God takes suffering and uses suffering and, and these kinds of things, but actually God also knows the depth of my pain and what that um what that means it's not god isn't kind of removed and and um f- from my suffering mm. and so uh, i suppose that's a, a little snapshot of the different kind of unfolding of things and i suppose the deepening of my understanding of um suffering and god yeah thanks lizzie does god choose or cause the suffering for each person or is it incidental? Um, does that question, if I put that one to you, Rob, is that her? Um, I think that question uh, tends to lay all of suffering at God's feet. Um, I think that Uh, Suffering can come from a number of different avenues. Um, And when a person asks, does God, what was the cause? Choose choose or cause the suffering for each person. Yeah. When a person asks that question, um, I guess to that person I would say, well, first of all, what's, what's the drive behind asking that question? Are you going through that yourself? Or is this a question which you're wanting answered at a mind level? Because I think the answer to that question can be answered at a heart level and a mind level. Um, At a mind level, um, brief answer, uh, I don't think that is the only cause of suffering. I think the devil comes into it. I think uh, foolish choices that we make because of our sinful nature, uh, choices that other other people make. I had a girl say to me, um, a girl say to a staff member of mine a little while ago, um, <clears throat> if God's a God of love, uh, why has my dad run off with another woman? And she was feeling the suffering of a foolish choice of another person. And then when it comes to God's part in suffering, um, I think that what he does is that here is this pool of suffering which we're all in and as we choose to face that suffering um, and dare to believe that God is still sovereign, still in control, then he can, out of that suffering the benefit is growth in terms of our relationship with God. Um, I ran a small group for a number of years and and I remember, I've asked people this question many, many times. Uh, what's the closest you've been to God? And I think the most amazing thing I find out is people talk about a moment of suffering. 
Now, out of that, um, obviously suffering can cause a person to grow in their faith and grow in their maturity. Does that answer the question or not? Or do you want more? In terms of whether God causes it? Oh, whether God causes it? Um, my broad answer to that, um, which may be controversial in its own right, would be no, but God can use it. That's what I would, I would say. Yeah, okay. Outside of that then, is it incidental? Suffering? Um, no, because that would suggest that we live in a world of accidental suffering. Mm. And if we believe that God is sovereign and who's in control, then I don't think it's accidental or incidental. Mm. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. Now, coming at it from maybe a bit more of a, uh, 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 a logical kind of perspective, we've got one. Um, there's a formulation, I'm going to kind of briefly summarise here, where um, this is heading your way, Aaron. God is all-powerful. He can do anything. He's all omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows all things. And he's omnibenevolent, which I believe means he's perfectly good as well. How can it be true if he knows all things and he's got all power that he's all good? Surely that doesn't work then and therefore that can't be, they can't, God can't be all those three things. What would be your philosophical response to that? Yeah, sure. So because he's not um, in his, in his omnibenevolence, in his, in his all goodness, He's not using his all-powerfulness to stop the badness. Therefore, he's not all good, and there's a contradiction there. Is essentially essentially where the, the question's getting at. Uh, philosophical is not my my massive area of, of interest. Um, for me, a lot of the question, and this is this is touching to the, the theological rather than kind of the practical ministry, but but the idea of of suffering present day for me, originates a lot back in suffering um, original day, yeah, back, back, back in the garden. Um, when you follow this, this train of, of thought, um, why, why am I suffering today? Why am I hurting today? Oh, well, it's because, you mean, the, the, because of the fall, because of original sin. Well, why did we originally sin? Where did that temptation come from? Where did that interest come from? Well, it was the Satan. We, we know that the serpent tested or deceived Eve in the garden. Well, where did the serpent come from? Well, God made it. And so um, there's this underlying question here um, of how can God be um, the, the creator of, of what Genesis something, it's in, it's in there, Genesis 3 talks to, how can God make the serpent and yet not be responsible for the sin? The Bible says God, God doesn't tempt us. He cannot be he'd tempt us to do evil. There's no darkness in him at all. So how is he, he not responsible? To be, to be honest, that's as far back as, as I, think, I think the Bible gives an indication to. And, and I was chatting with, with Ollie about it last week, and we said, well, it is. Do you know what I mean? Like there's, there's this level of he, he's not responsible for it, and yet he created the serpent with, with the capacity to go down that path. You throw the three, free, free will argument into it. Can you just repeat the question? So make sure I'm, I'm... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, God is all good. All good and all powerful. All powerful, all yep. knowing. Yep. How does that work if there's bad stuff? Either he doesn't see it, he can't do anything about it, or he's yep. not good. Yep. 
throw the free will um, discussion in there, and you've got this extra element of of God allowing another a choice. He's now allowing a, another a responsibility, an opportunity, and and for him to genuinely allow that opportunity, it means that there's a genuine possibility that they go good or bad. You know, I mean that that has to be the case. Um, but for me, the the answer that kind of um, captures it all off is is this idea of, of the glory, um, the glory of God. John John Piper writes a really interesting article: um, Is God for us or is God for Himself? Okay, and this is kind of my my big heart when it when it comes to suffering: Is God for us or is God for Himself? And this touches on these three three omnis. Okay, my answer to that question is is both, and and suffering. It, Drip, drip feeds into this as, as a whole bunch of other areas do. It's because God is for us that he's ultimately for himself. The most loving thing God to do for us is, is to provide something for us where we can reach our fullest expression of enjoyment. Yeah, What's the best thing we can have? Something that, that we delight in. When, when we see a kid, um, we delight in it. You mean the kid walk for the first time, we praise it and we delight in it because it's something beautiful, it's something amazing. When we see God, he's so much more infinitely amazing that we delight in that. So what could God give us? He gives us a free world in which we have the capacity to step into that space to delight in that because ultimately that's the best thing for us. And ultimately that's the best thing for him. It's, it's, it's one that I've, I've spent months trying to get my head around, but this idea of it's this both end. As we delight ourselves in God, yeah, we're intrinsically praising him. As we delight in a baby, we're intrinsically praising, oh, you're so clever, you're so clever. The delight and praise go hand in hand. That's good for us because it's this element of delight and joy, wonderful thing. That's what God wants because he loves us. He wants us to have this level of joy. But it means that he's getting the praise, which is all what it's all about. I would imagine I've confused half of you, my apologies, <laughs> and half of you are with me. Free will. There's, a, there's an ultimate question of responsibility where actually the Bible doesn't tell us and, and God is actually more interested in his glory, but don't, don't freak out. That's not a bad thing. It's actually yeah. you know, it's the best interest for us because it's the best interest for him. There's a sense in which the path leads outside of this into a, that, a bigger... Yeah, no, it's nice to go off the uh, uh, follow that path a while. I think that makes sense. Now, Rob, did you have something you were going to speak into that question about God's omnis? I saw a hand movement. Maybe I didn't. No, <laughs> no I, I, me of the in. question. You know, can God make a rock that big that He can't lift it? <laughs> um, that's the way that question is yeah. going. I. I, you know, with, with Aaron on this, that I think um, God is by nature love, and if He is by nature love, um, for me to love someone requires choice. Um, if there's no choice, then I'm a robot, and that person's a robot, or God's a ro- God's making me a robot, so that I just say I love you, God. But He has decided to create us with free will. And he has to, in inverted commas, do that because his nature is to love. And so we are made to love as well and thus love him back. I'm saying the obvious, but the, what's the word? I, can't think, I don't know whether there's a theological word here, but the 
the challenge of that was that in giving us the capacity to love and have free will gives us the capacity to choose not to love him or to love him. Mm. Um, and obviously, as Aaron was saying way back there in Genesis 3, our first choice uh, was not to love him. And we have faced the consequences of that ever since. Mm. And that, that's a more I would add to yeah, what Aaron yeah, said. Yeah. Yeah, that connects in well. Yeah. So, uh, simple answer. It's more complicated than just a, a, yeah. a logical yeah, you can go three-way make go around. Big enough, you can live. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Now, the next one here is obviously, I think, a, a, a personal question for somebody. Um, how do I answer why God causes suffering when the person that I'm talking to is unsure about faith, is grieving over the death of a parent, the sudden death of a parent? Um, that's such a hard space to be in. Um, maybe not an answering this question, but Liz, would you would you like to hold that for a while? Can you just repeat the first part of that question again? How do I answer why God causes suffering when the person I'm talking to is unsure about faith and is grieving over a sudden death of a parent. Yeah. Um, I guess if I was talking to you in a conversation, my question would be, have they asked you why or is your inclination to give a reason why? And the reason I want to kind of pull those things apart is that I think sometimes we – we want to ask. We want to answer a question because somebody asks us that question. Um, so somebody um, may be sitting with their grief and saying to us, "Why would God allow this to happen?" Um, oh, sure. Oh, beautiful. No, thanks. That's fine. That's good. Thank you. Because my, my other part was going to be if, whether it's to do. Sometimes I think people we're sitting with someone who is. Um, suffering and our own discomfort with suffering makes us want to provide a response. And I think that that's a different kind of thing. Um, I would say um, first and foremost um, that the best thing that you can do, and I'm sure you've been doing this in order to get to a point where a person can ask this question, is to be listening to, to what this person's reality is and to the suffering and to the pain of this person. Um, I think I think we can provide explanations for things around why it is that this may have happened and, and this might be, again, one of those, uh, um, Rob's talked about, you know, the four kind of causes of suffering, whether that's, um, you know, the fact that we live in a fallen world or we um, we... Uh, uh, um, whether it's the result of um, our the consequence of a choice that we've made or the consequence of a choice of another or whether it's the, the devil, devil or um, those kind of things. I think, we, you know, we can provide those kind of answers. But I guess um, for me it comes down to why is this person asking the question? Do they Do they want an answer to the question or do they want comfort in their pain because I think sometimes we can give the answers but the answers don't necessarily give, provide the comfort 
And and I think it's okay to answer the questions, but knowing that that the question answering the question doesn't necessarily leave people in a space where they don't can that they're, they're um, free of pain. They'll often still be questioning and wrestling, and so a- allowing that space and saying, "Well, we can we can talk about that question. I'd love to talk about that question with you, um, but um, I I want you to know that um, that I, while I can give you answers, that it may not be the answers that bring you what you need mm-hmm. at this point in time, um, and be willing to." to sit with that wrestling and that wrestling will probably go on for potentially forever. Mm. Um, and, and um, being willing to, willing to journey with that person and wrestle through those questions and, and working out well, um, where is it, what is God wanting to do in this? How is God wanting to minister to this person? And that may not be in providing the answers. It could mm. be, but it may also be in doing something else. Yeah, um, there comes. We've all experienced it when someone's in so much pain. Uh, the words just don't do it. They just don't do it, do they? And just being with that person um, is all that's required, um, because the pain is so severe. But it's certainly been my experience when, when my granddaughter died and. We had to go in and switch the system off and I'm there with my um, then 10-year-old grandson and my daughter. I just didn't know what to say. I'd, and anything I said was going to be mm. inadequate. I remember saying, I love you, and it just sounded so glib and just being there with the person and never underestimating that the vibe of the depth of your feeling does transfer across to that person as you're talking to them. Yeah, that's powerful, guys. Thank you. Mm, good. This is another, another, another tough one, but another personal one for a lot of people, actually. How do we explain the suffering that is being caused by the church? Um, one example that they cite, of course, is um, child abuse in the Catholic Church, but I don't think we need to look too far and to look around and see in ourselves and others that the church broadly and personally has uh, caused harm and damage to people. Um, does someone want to put their hand up for that one? I don't want to throw that at anyone. <laughs> I um, I think, again, you ask yourself, why is that person asking that? Mm. Is it because they've had some um, negative experience with the church? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think we as Christians should be able to have a response to that that is loving and not restrictive. Yeah, yeah. That's the reason for asking. That's good. Because um, I imagine a lot of us are having a conversation and probably afraid to open our mouths sometimes around it. 
and yet wanting to be politically correct and not excuse the church and all that. And with the Francis Bell, is that Francis Bell? Whatever his name is. Yeah, George Bell. Hmm. Anything? Sorry, I interrupted. No, that's it. So just, you know, Thanks, just Brett. Yeah. So, for, how do we support a person who's a victim of that? Is that or Brian? Because there's two two kinds of things. Handling the person who's a victim, talking to that person, would be very different than talking to a person who, for example, is um, disenchanted with the church anyway, and and some people even take delight in pointing out the failure of the church in that process. And I think um, the, the, the first thing is we don't excuse sin. We, we never excuse it. Outside the church or inside the church, we never excuse it. Um, the Bible doesn't and neither should we. Secondly, um, within the church, um, we must be first to admit that there are people who sin within the church, regardless of whether it's of this horrendous nature that we've just talked about or anything. Um, but there is a sense in that's why the church exists, so that people who um, fight with their own sin um, can feel welcome, accepted and loved and ultimately find forgiveness in that. And so we shouldn't be um, on the back foot in terms of saying, oh, well, I've got to defend the church here. The, the church has got sinners in it just as there are sinners outside of the church and we are first to admit that. And we shouldn't be ashamed, as it were, to admit it because the church, as by the gospel, um, offers forgiveness. Um, and it's interesting to ask folk who would go on the attack against the church, it's interesting to see whether they would have the same attitude to people outside of the church. And if they don't, it's then that their view of the church is one of, oh, it's meant to be full of people that are perfect. And so we have to correct their view of what the church is. Does that help? Or? Thanks, Brett. I think that that is relevant for a lot of people. I know I've had those kind of conversations before. Another question that's come up a couple of times, uh, uh, how do we explain to people in a simple way? Um, so we talk, we've talked a lot, we've grappled a lot with, um, with some of the philosophies of it um, and there's a complexity, even when we use metaphors and things like that, there's a complexity to suffering philosophically and, and its place in this world that seems to not fit very well. Is there a simple way to explain sin to people? Um, and I'm, I, I think in this context, we're not talking about a pastoral situation. I think we're talking about um, someone who's got questions about Christianity. Maybe it's a stumbling block for them. That's me. I'm reading into the question there. But I think that's the, 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 the general context of it. Is there a simple way to deal with this? Or is it always just um, a long-winded, rambly, rabbit holy kind of a experience. 
I know, I made it into a long-winded rambly thing. <laughs> Maybe there's an irony there. Is there a simple way to explain suffering and a good God? God created a good world, humans sinned. God's restoring that world. It's the story of the Bible. Full stop. Thanks, Aaron. I, I, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think there is a misunderstanding uh, of the majority of people outside of the church and maybe even in the church as to what sin is. Um, but I think the people that you mix with at school or at work or in uni uh, normally equate sins with a whole list of different things and that may vary from person to person. Um, the hardest person to convince of sin is the good living person by far because they see their list as being minimal, small or non-existent mm. uh, because they haven't murdered anyone, they haven't committed adultery, they etc, etc. And therefore to explain that the essence of sin is not a list of things but they are the fruit of sin um, and that in essence is us going our own way in preference to God's way, which I quoted this morning from Isaiah 53, 6. Mm. So that, and I often use the analogy of a spider and a web. Uh, the web are all the list of the different sins, but it's the spider that causes it. And of course, the sad thing is, is that people think to get to God, you've got to deal with the stuff out there in the web and not deal with the essence of sin, which is going your own way in preference to God. Mm. I suppose that's part of why it becomes a complex thing is when the framing of it and the terminology actually needs to be cleared up before you deal with the issue yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a great clarification. Um, you know, the Bible says um, your righteousness is as filthy rags and you tell a person who's a good living person that they don't like it at all. Mm. Um, because they equated with those list of things out there that they don't do. That's great. If it's important that we suffer and God uses it, how do we pray when there, we are in the midst of it? Is it wrong to ask God to take our suffering away? Do you want to open this one up, Liz, and then maybe one or two other people can? <laughs> sure. Uh, can you repeat it one more time? Yeah. So I know what it's a good what question. I'm answering. If it's important that we suffer and God uses it for our growth, as Rob was saying before, how do we pray when we're in the midst of it? Is it wrong to ask God to take it away? Maybe we should ask for more. <laughs> I'm not going to. <laughs> wow. Uh, so many, so many things to say. Um, I think the first thing I want to say um, is that uh, should we ask God to take away our suffering or should we not? Uh, I think I don't think it is wrong to ask for God to take away our suffering, but we need to be aware that God may not do that. Uh, I think to say, oh, God, give me more suffering, I'm not sure, I mean, if you so oh, that was my if you want to edition. do that, that's a pretty brave prayer. Um, God will will use your suffering. I believe that. 
Um, I know that to be true of my own suffering. Um, a prayer, I mean, you can pray whatever you want when you're suffering, really. Uh, I think God can take all kinds of our prayers. There's been times when, when I'm, I've been suffering and my prayer has just been yelling at God, basically, about how unfair my suffering feels. Um, and I don't think that's a wrong thing sometimes to express to God where our heart is at. Um, I think, though, um, praying that God will show us um, what it is that we need um, to to know about him in the midst of this, and I don't mean that in terms of a lesson, um, but there are things that God is going to use the suffering to do and to refine in us. And so um, praying that God will be doing that, and I suppose finding ourselves in a, a, a positioning ourselves before God and saying, I don't understand this, I don't know what you're doing in this, this doesn't make sense to me, um, this hurts and is difficult. Um, but God, do in me what it is that you're wanting to do. And that's not to say that God has caused this, caused X, Y and Z to happen to teach me A, B and C, but because X, Y and Z are part of the reality of my life at this point in time, God can take that reality and use it to, to refine me and to make me more like Christ. Um, and so um, my prayer in suffering is always that I would know God more and that God will do what he wants to do in me. Uh, I don't think it's wrong necessarily to, to pray that God would take away our suffering. Sometimes actually it's it, it, we should be... Um, praying for particular types of suffering to be taken away. I think there there is, um, mm. you know, if, if suffering is caused by sin, I don't say, God, more sin <laughs> to cause more suffering or anything like that. But, um, uh, you know, I think, what am I trying to say? Um. I think it is about asking God what he is doing in that space um, and and listening to God. It may be that God is going to remove that suffering and that he's going to use the removal of that suffering for his glory, and we do see that. We do see, um, you know, people healed and we do see, um, you know, financial breakthrough for someone if they're financially suffering or, we, you know, we see God remove suffering time and time again for his glory. And we also see um, people pray for the removal of suffering and God chooses to do something else for his glory um, and a refining of that person um, and using that suffering to do something else. Uh, and so I think praying for discernment about what it is that God is doing. Yeah. I, I, I love that, Liz. That was very... Um, I think it dealt with a lot of the complexity of it in a very accessible, relational way. Um, Aaron, do you look like you were lining up? How should we pray in the midst of suffering? Can we pray for it to be taken away if we know that it's going to do us good? Sure. Two, two biblical reflections for that one. Uh, you, you might be quite familiar with this one, Matthew uh, 26, 39. Going a little farther, he fell with his... This is Jesus. Going a little farther, 
he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. This is Jesus' prayer. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as, as you will. I think that kind of speaks to itself. And that's a great, a great example to follow. The, um, the other one I would, I'd come to, and this is, this is really pertinent. Josh asked before, what's, what's kind of one reflection you have? And, and Daniel 3 was immediately uh, where I went. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar's just put out this order for, um, basically, I've got this, this image of me. If you don't worship it, I'm going to throw you in the fire. Okay, that's a pretty, pretty extreme version of, of suffering. And this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when, when confronted by the, they, they come to him and they say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. And so um, you, you might say this is, this is not a prayer, and you'd be right. But I would imagine there'd, there'd be a prayer um, behind this that these guys are saying of, God, we believe that you are powerful enough to remove this situation of suffering. Yeah, they say that. We, we know that God is powerful enough to, to, to do this. But even if he doesn't, we're not backing down from worshipping him. We're, we're staying true to the course, and we're going to trust him, and we're going to back him in. So God, if, if it's your will, as, as Jesus expresses, yeah, we believe, as, as these guys say, that you're powerful enough to remove this suffering. But even if you don't, that's not going to shipwreck our faith. That's not going to take away from that. Mm. We're still going to worship mm. you. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. This one, again, looks like a, a, a personal one. In a desert-like experience or a dark night period of the soul, where your daily experience is, feels like isolated abandonment and the presence of the Trinio life feels like silent nothingness with no knowledge of the reason for why you feel it, how do you continue to walk in faith when the very one who is good you can't seem to sense or communicate with? Um. <laughs> Rob? Uh, all I can say is whoever broke that, I identify. I've had moments like that. Um, and I think it's probably a liar who says that they haven't had moments where they haven't had moments where they feel abandoned by God. Um, I guess I, I, I think of that, um, I don't know about quaint, but the that unbelievable story of where... Um, the Lord says to Abraham, go sacrifice your son. And then he goes on a three days journey and doesn't hear anything from God for three days. No explanation to what seems to be a ridiculous situation counter to the character of God. And of course we now know the end of the story that God intervened. But there are, there are moments in one's life um, when one feels, and I use the word feel there, alone, and that can be not just for a fleeting moment or a fleeting day, but for a season. 
And uh, my goodness, um, that's a different form of suffering altogether. And I'm imagining that a great, amount, great amount of us sitting here have felt it, but don't tell anyone. I, you know, my inclination is, well, I'll tell my wife, but I'm, I'm not going to tell you. That's how I feel. And um, I think that that's where, for me, um, the Word of God or the Scripture becomes critical. Um, where I see, I, I, I see that, that my reaction is to seek God more, even though I can't hear, I'm hearing God less. And, um, and then sometimes when I'm going through this season, I open up my Bible and I might as well be reading a Mickey Mouse manual. You know, when you have those moments where you're like, I'm getting nothing out of this, and that reinforces that sense of where's God? And I think at that stage, and this is, this is the critical choice that one makes, is do I believe um, that my God is still there and loves me, though I have no physical evidence to see it? Because that's what faith is, that I dare to believe when I'm feeling this, I'm feeling abandoned, I'm feeling alone that he is still there and that he still loves me and that when he says, I will never leave you and nor forsake you, for example, he means it. And I don't see it, I don't feel it, I'm not getting anything. Do I choose at that point to say, I refuse to let go? And I'd have to be honest with you, there have been quite a number of times in my life when I've said out loud to God, I am not going to let go. I still choose to trust you. Uh, this is what I feel. That's that's how I, my experience. Mm. Sorry, I went into preaching mode. Then. <laughs> <laughs> very encouraging. Mm. It's very encouraging. And I think that's probably a, a a good place to move into winding up now. I've realised we're heading for six thirty. Maybe by way of finishing up. If I could ask each of you a question, then what we'll do is I might ask if you're willing, Stu, to just give a pastoral prayer after that, and then we'll move down and we've got one more song, I think, to come before God um, before we then head over and have our hot chocolates. Um, but the one question, and I'm going to, this is turning off the, turning off the phone now, I'm going off the, I'm going off the script. Um, I'm going to pick a quick question each for you, but you only get 30 seconds to answer. Um, Aaron, uh, what would you say is your favourite place to turn to that you haven't looked at yet to look at an example of a way that someone in the Bible has responded to suffering? The, the early church for me, and one example, and this is why my message for youth a couple of weeks back, you know, 1 Peter 1, 6, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have 
had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And that, that idea of you may have, essentially, when, when you go back to the Greek, it's this idea of it is inevitable, yeah? It's inevitable that you're gonna suffer trials of, of all kinds, yeah? It's inevitable. But it goes on to talk about this inexpressible and glorious joy. And, and my kind of catch cry to the, to the youth was, it's, it's inevitable. You don't necessarily get to choose, with the exception of, of, of sin and so forth from your own doing, you don't necessarily get to choose whether or not suffering happens. But in that space, you get to choose whether or not you're going to let it steal your joy. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and life to the full. Um, remain in me and, and you'll experience this joy. John 15, Jesus talks about that. So that would be my, my encouragement. Trust the God of hope, trust the God of, of comfort, and, and press into that, that space, even though you don't necessarily feel it in a time of suffering. That's great, As. Lizzie, I've been to a lot of funerals in my time. People want to be pastoral. People are terrified of talking to grieving people. Um, what are a couple of short, practical ways of engaging with people who are suffering? What are some tips that you'd give? Um, I, I would say, um, as I said before, first and foremost, listen to that person um, as they are talking. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, it's up to them whether they answer those questions, but it's okay for you to ask things. Sometimes people are too scared to, to even ask because they think they're going to it's going to be um, upsetting for someone. It might be upsetting to be asked, but um, the other, the uh, I would say also, um, be conscious of your own discomfort. And so sometimes the reason we don't say something is because we are um, feeling uncomfortable ourselves. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that that actually sitting in grief is not a comfortable thing. It's not comfortable for me to sit with somebody who's grieving sometimes. It's not comfortable for them to be grieving. <laughs> um, and that's okay. It's okay to sit there and go, actually, this this is painful and hard, but I'm actually going to find a way to be comfortable with my discomfort um, and to be present with this person and to hear um, what it is that they have to say um, and the other thing I would say is to keep talking to them about the thing. <laughs> you know, don't kind of have a one-off conversation and leave it at that. Um, because for a person who's grieving, and I'm using that because you talked about grief specifically, but um, grief, we carry grief with us for our whole life often. Um, and so to... That that's not a kind of a one-off. Oh, we're at the funeral; the grieving's done. But actually, um, to be um, engaged and present and okay with grief, um, and and be aware of where you're at too. Um, Thanks, Lizzie. Rob, I saved the hardest one for you. <laughs> no, I haven't. Um, you have suffered before. You said this morning that you have you made a faith commitment at the age of seven. Is that right? You would have had a few really big ups and downs in that time. We look around and we see people who seem to live lives that are long lives of great suffering. 
followed by a death that seems to be a horrible suffering death. <laughs> and let's close for the night. No, no, no. Um, you uh, and, and you've experienced suffering in your life um, that's been dark and very deep. Um, is it worth it all to persevere with God when you can't see any reason and why? Um, well, the answer to the first bit is yes. <laughs> um, it is worth persevering. Um, and why? Um, I think two reasons, very briefly. One uh, is because it draws you closer to God and that to me explains why that James says, you know, rejoice in your suffering. There's, there's no joy in suffering itself, but there is joy in coming closer to God and suffering just has that innate ability to do that. And then the other reason to persevere is um, is that people look at you as you suffer and if you say you love the Lord and you're suffering, they see the reality of God probably more in that situation than any other situation. And your life is either shouting out that you still love God or is shouting out, I can't handle this. Um, and that's mm. good reasons why. I can't say that I've been in that space, but I've seen that. You're right, I've seen people in that and it's moved me. That's very profound. Thank you. Um, we'd like to thank the panellists for their contributions, for their insights and for their wisdom. We prayed uh, a lot and we talked before we came up that God would speak through them as he's been speaking through their lives and I certainly, I think, experience God's wisdom and insight through your contributions tonight. So thank you very much for that. Now, uh, I'd like, Stu, if that's all right, if you could give a, come up and give a pastoral prayer and while we do that, um, if you guys like to grab your seats, we'll put the chairs away and then the band can come up for the final song if that's all right. Thanks, Crystal. Thanks, Rob. Liz. Aaron, we appreciate that. Two really, really quick stories. I was seven or eight years of age. Dad had given me 50 cents to go to the milk bar and to buy some lollies. It was the best afternoon of my life, particularly when you got three lollies for two cents. I mean, this 50 cents was going a long way. I remember returning home on my bike, a little bit of a daydreamer, watching my wheel go round and round, and I can't remember what happened, but suddenly I was splayed across the ground. My little bag, that little white bag of lollies strewn across the road, and nobody saw. I, I must have hit the gutter. I don't know what it was. Tears. I picked up all those little lollies, put them in the bag, and I was just gutted. How could something so tragic happen to me on the best day of my life? <laughs> Another quick story. Dad said, don't hit the tennis ball against the garage wall. It's too close to the window. I'm going out. See you, Dad. Whack, 
first serve straight through the wick garage window. <laughs> Dad came home and it was a little bit of an embarrassed Stuart that had to sit down with him. On one occasion, not my fault. On the other occasion, absolutely my fault. On both occasions, Dad just sat down with me and used both situations so that I could learn something from them. And I guess when bad stuff happens, whether it's your fault or whether it's not your fault, we can be sure of this, that our Heavenly Father wants to use it to shape and train and discipline you. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer says to a, to a church that's suffering, a church that's in pain, a church that is just bewildered and is asking, what is happening? The writer says, so consider carefully how Jesus faced such intense opposition from sinners who oppose their own souls so that you won't become worn down and cave in under life's pressures. And have you forgotten his encouraging words spoken to you as his children? He said, my child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training of the Lord God or get depressed when he has to correct you. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. We all should welcome God's discipline as the validation of authentic sonship. For if we have never once endured his correction, it only proves we are strangers and not sons. Why does suffering happen? It's hard to give just a one pat answer how does god use it he uses it to train us as any good father would let's let's pray oh heavenly father we thank you that whilst tonight there remains still mystery in some aspects of the suffering that we must endure in this life bad stuff happens it does but we are assured from Scripture that you want to use it to build us up. And as you do, you validate us as being true children of the living God. That we might undergo from time to time correction and training. It just goes to show that we are legitimate children to a loving Heavenly Father who will never allow the most wicked and un incomprehensible things that happen to us and, and come into our lives, you will never allow those things to go to waste. You love us too much for that. You will always use them to shape us to be more and more like your son, Jesus, and to draw us closer to you. And for that, we give thanks. We love you, Father, we do. And we trust you, even in the in inexplicable we trust you. Thank you for being with us tonight. Thank you for your reassurances and thank you for your promises. Amen.